Hey, Nora. Hey, Sandy. Guess what I got in the mail today? Uh, well, did you get someone else other than me to send you all-dressed chips? No, but that'd be great. Like, if you could actually make good on that promise that you made, like, what, a year ago? <laughs> that'd be nice. Yeah, I could do that. Yeah, maybe I'll do that. <laughs> maybe you should. <laughs> <laughs> I'd be into it for sure. No, I got my special ballot. Oh, well, that's totally not at all exciting. God, this election's so boring. <laughs> it's true. It's true. I um, I was on CTV on Saturday uh, on Angie Seth's Reality of Racism panel. And so we were talking about the platforms of the parties as they relate to race, given that as you know, race in the last little bit was a huge major deal, as we've discussed. And so I went through all of the available platforms to like just check what was going on and which should surprise no one, news that should surprise no one, is the Conservative Party doesn't even mention race <laughs> once in their platform. <laughs> they are not even pretending, which I suppose... There is some respect for the full truthness that is the Conservative Party. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. But yeah, they don't give a shit. No. And uh, what should also not surprise anyone is the rest of them are underwhelming. Underwhelming. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, well, I wish I could say I was surprised, yeah. but um, that seems uh, par for the course. Uh, I also noticed that this year there was no journalist um, photo of the folks following Justin Trudeau like there was in 2019 that showed that it was like a fully white team. <laughs> uh, uh -huh. I don't know how much more diverse it is this time. Uh, it's I think it's probably at least one more person diverse, maybe, maybe two, but God, it certainly feels like all of my election news is coming from white journalists. Hmm. Well, maybe we could uh, somehow encourage people through this podcast to take that photo again. So we may compare what has changed <laughs> since the last time. I'm willing to bet not much. No, no, not not that much. And uh, and then, of course, it shows up in the coverage and it shows up in, you know, sure, the platforms are missing stuff. But if there was an outrage around something missing or something not being sufficient, we can imagine that it would be improved. Right. That's what politicians do sometimes. Unless you're the NDP, you're really stuck with what you get. Um, but no, no attention on this, no focus on this, uh, other than, you know, activist groups doing what they can to, to bring attention to, to some issues. But it certainly feels like this election is uninspired. I mean, I don't think I've ever been super inspired by an election. In fact, now I'm saying that aloud, it's like I've never probably been inspired by an election. But yeah, this one, this one seems especially special in its lack of inspiration. <laughs> yes, elections don't tend to be inspiring things, Nora, but I know I don't need to tell you, <laughs> tell you that, um, uh, especially not in Canada. But as we said before, it is particularly dispiriting that after a fucking shit show couple of years that we've had that um, this hasn't inspired um, a, a thirst for system change uh, in the way that we need. But mm -hmm. that's okay, because that thirst is where it needs to be, which is on the ground. Yes, yes. 
Before we get into the actual episode, which is just going to be more of this, <laughs> no, that's not entirely true, we have some people to thank. We do. So this week, we have to say so much thank you to RC, Mark, Leanne, Jeffrey, Elizabeth, Mike, MR, Miranda, and Perry. Thank you so, so much for your support. Thanks, y'all. And also, before we get into the meat of the episode, I do want to say something about what's happened in Texas. Have you been watching this, Nora? Yeah, yeah. I mean, that entire place seems to be hellbent on forming a new country. <laughs> like, really, <laughs> really hoping to secede finally from the... Uh, from from the union, from whatever the fuck you call it, the, the Federation of States. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's, I mean, a lot happening in Texas. But there was very recently uh, a successful scheme by legislators to effectively ban abortion. And they did it in a way that I think should concern people in common law jurisdictions everywhere, because I believe that it will likely be copied as much as people think that they can copy it. Um, the law is unconstitutional, but there's like some really weird technicalities in the law um, that make it so that the, the courts can decide not to do anything about it which is that they did this weird thing that doesn't exist anywhere, which is that they've banned abortion. It's not criminal. And they made it so that any person in Texas can civilly sue anyone who aids and abets an abortion and get $10,000. Wow, what? Yeah, it's a it's a bounty hunter style bill <laughs> it's very strange and the weird technical thing that I won't go into like super long details about how to how, why it's technical and weird but the the gist of it is that normally when a state or like a province or anywhere like in a common law jurisdiction uh, passes a uh, something that's unconstitutional you sue the state but in this situation, you can't sue the state because it's not the state that's enforcing the law. It's like any random person anywhere who's trying to get this $10,000. <laughs> and they can sue the person who's getting an abortion or they could sue like the Uber driver because it's all aiding and abetting is the law. And the fact that the Supreme Court in the U.S. was like, well, we can't hear this because... Uh, this isn't about suing the state. We need to, like, you need, we need to, an actual defendant, and there is none. Um, they're, you know, anti-choice activists are giddy at this and are looking to copy it all over the place. And so I just think this is one of those things we can't take our eye off of just because we're in a, a different jurisdiction. This is a, a significant uh, development and... We should all be paying attention to this. It's really horrific. Yeah. The other night I was with my American friend. <laughs> I have a couple of American friends, but I have one who I see a lot. And um, I think I said something like, so, wow, Texas, eh? And she replied to say, oh, are you talking about the abortion bill or like everything fucking 
else. And I was like, oh, there's it's not just that. And she was like, it is part of a very concerted effort to really change um, to change a lot of things within the state. And so I think it also is worth mentioning that, you know, in the past week, they also made it impossible for Texans to sue the Sackler family. Um, Of course, the Sackler family is known for uh, their role uh, through Purdue Pharma and uh, the opioid crisis. And so there has been some moves to try and sue that family for the the way that the opioid crisis was was fueled by the company, the manufacturer. Um, So that's no longer possible in Texas. It's like freedom for who, right? Like the Sacklers, I guess. Um, and they also, they also just passed a law. This is just, I mean, this plus the abortion bill is like, okay. They passed a law that allows most people who want to, to carry a handgun in public without a permit or any training. <laughs> Wow, Texas. Okay, uh, pro life or maybe not. <laughs> no, <laughs> like, maybe no. maybe this isn't about life a- at all. Seems very much about death. Yeah, yeah. Um, so anyway, this is all very terrible. Um, Texas is a terrible place. So are most colonies, and as we know, and so um, I just think we we should those of us. Uh, in Canada, we need to know that these hard fought for wins uh, for um, adequate public health for people who give birth and for reproductive justice generally, um, we shouldn't take them for granted. There are people who are constantly fighting to take those hard fought wins away. And uh, they're becoming innovative in the way that they do that. And uh, passing laws that don't make any sense. And we should be very careful um, and uh, make sure that we are, have our eye on what's happening here as well. Absolutely. Absolutely. So from the uh, Lone Star State to the lonely halls of provincial legislatures, we bring you tonight's episode. <laughs> <laughs> that was good. That, eh? that was a good little like switch. I loved it. Um, very talented. Thank you. Where are what's going on in the provincial legislatures? Like hot beds of issues, right? Because so much is happening right now. Vaccine passports, uh, mm-hmm. climate crises. Mm-hmm. Gosh, the impacts of uh, of well, fuck everything. Look around. <laughs> <laughs> What, what's going on? Who's having the most excitement? Which province shall we look at first? <laughs> so there's been this very interesting thing that's been happening, depending on where you are in Canada, either for a couple of weeks or has just been announced to be for the next couple of weeks or more than a month, uh, where provincial politicians just lay low, I guess. They either like flee to Costa Rica or they hide under some coats. I mean, I guess the one that that flees to Costa Rica has already resigned. (laughs) So like, congratulations, Manitoba, I guess on that. Um, Or they just they just like, you know, they don't make much noise. Um, There was one provincial premier uh, who I actually crossed at the airport. (laughs) And it was like, hey, everyone, I found Doug Ford. (laughs) He just got off uh, the plane that I'm about to get on. But it's been Nora, what did you do? Okay, when I say I, I actually made my partner because I was down the hallway running into a friend. <laughs> uh, he could have held his feet to the fire. 
Literally. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Missed opportunity. It, no, it so was. I actually don't have any idea how I missed him because, um, I mean, we were just at the end of Terminal, of the D section of the Canadian um, part of Pearson in Terminal 1. So anyway, um, these folks are laying low and they're laying low obviously, though it's not as if journalists are talking about it in this way, which is extremely annoying, but they're laying low because they know that in a lot of cases, and we'll talk province by province, um, a lot of cases, the the provincial government is going to either be a liability or an asset to their federal cousins running in this election. And it is so interesting to see who is very obviously considered a fucking liability. (laughs) And who's that? Definitely Doug Ford, clearly. I mean, he disappeared for, for quite some time, then had the news on the vaccine passports, and then was like, well, let's prorogue this shit. <laughs> Fuck it. <laughs> <laughs> Ran away. Apparently, um, there's some thought that uh, the way that he has governed will hurt the Conservative Party of Canada's chances in Ontario. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which, I mean, is, I think, going to, yes, that's true. (laughs) That's very, very true. Doug Ford is a giant liability for the Conservative Party. Um, And also, so is Jason Kenney, who also has been hiding. Um, Mm -hmm. Tyler Shandro, his bro minister of health, um, they came back uh, after, I guess, summer vacation to announce that they'll be paying people to get vaccinated for $100 a dose, but not actually $100. They'll be giving them a gift card, which is just such a hilarious way to pay people. <laughs> and um, Ridiculous. Yeah. And that, of course, angered a lot of people. Not that this is going to get anti-vaxxers probably to get vaccinated. In fact, I doubt it at all. It'll be it'll probably amount to the first real support that the poorest people in the province have actually received, which is an incredible comment on how pandemic responses have interacted with poor people in this country and in Alberta specifically. Uh, But there's also been a lot of quiet from Scott Moe. Pallister in Manitoba has resigned. That's that is that is a huge conservative block. And, And the one place where the conservatives have a bit of like bounce in their step or maybe they're puffing out their chests and pulling up their belts the way that kind of like old men do sometimes is Nova Scotia, where the Conservative Party pulled a bit of an upset, um, an election where the results were a rejection of the status quo liberals and signaling potentially that the Conservatives might pick up a couple of seats in Nova Scotia. Mm-hmm. Now, also, I think it's worth mentioning that um, Horgan's kind of disappeared too, from the headlines over in BC, there's nothing much that he has, uh, you know, spoken out about or shown up at since uh, the firefighting um, that was happening before. And of course, I think that that probably has to do with what's happening in Fairy Creek and also um, probably has something to do with um, just the record uh, of Horgan and how that has angered um, uh activist communities and folks on the left generally uh, in the in the last couple of years. Yeah. And it's not just that. I mean, John Horgan is dealing with two major crises that are not COVID and COVID is and we're, we'll, we'll talk about COVID and how it interacts with all of this. But Horgan um, is the head of a province with the most dire figures of deaths in the opioid crisis. 
And the province is not doing like not they're not acting as if it's a crisis. I mean, no province is acting as if it's a crisis. But here's a province with an NDP government not acting like it's a crisis. They also have these this this um, this last couple of months of of mass death uh, across the province because of heat waves. And they're under pressure, of course, to explain that or to, I don't know, I mean, Horgan has said some pretty bad stuff in, in trying to kind of calm down the population on why the deaths weren't, um, I mean, why they were not so bad, I guess. But these two things, I mean, the opioid crisis obviously is is far, far greater and far deeper a crisis. I think that combined with Ferry Creek, that combined with the fact that they have supported resource development. Yeah, the NDP doesn't seem very um, keen to have Horgan, you know, trotting out Jagmeet to be like, hey, everybody who voted for me should be voting for him or everybody that voted NDP should be voting NDP federally. Um, And it's very interesting because you would think that a party that is as small as the NDP really needs the political support of someone who's in power, who's actually premier and be like, yes, we can govern. Look at how we can govern. But but the record is not so great. No. And he, OK, so here's the thing about all of this, right? Like uh, no matter whether it's in uh, B.C. or wherever else, this isn't new. This tends to happen <laughs> that premiers disappear uh, when there is a federal election going on. And I think the question, Nora, for us is like, well, what do we think about that? I, I, for, for a population that was really upset at the idea of even going to the election, like there's so many important things to do. We shouldn't go to an election. It's like, uh, maybe the ire uh, should be focused uh, at the provinces right now where they hold a lot of the responsibility for taking care of a lot of those things that we were talking about ad nauseum uh, on the news about how this is the wrong time for an election because, I don't know, uh, pandemic, this, that, the other, which, um, as I stated before, I disagree with um, that sort of framing. But the the provinces uh, and the legislatures of the provinces and the 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 leaders of the provinces disappearing during this time, it's kind of fucked up. Let's take stock of where we are right now in this country. So I am in Quebec, and Quebec is one of the few provinces where the the government has not shut down. There is enough distance between Francois Legault and the federal conservatives. Like I mean, a lot of distance, even though. Legault is a conservative politician. His government is a conservative government, but there's not the same kind of stink on the CAC as my. Well, <laughs> when I say this in English, it's just so funny. <laughs> At the beginning of the pandemic, my kids were like, I don't get it. Why is the radio always saying PPE and the CAC and all these funny words? And I'm like, yeah, I don't know. As adults, we're just humorless and we're like, PPE, that's totally a normal thing to say. <laughs> but oh, the, children. The CAC is able to um, distance itself in a different way than the provincial conservatives in Ontario can from the federal government. That's obvious. And that's a real benefit for Quebec because it means that the, the, the government is not hamstrung by what's happening federally. And so Quebec schools have been in, in session for a week. There have been no major outbreaks reported. 
outbreaks are actually staying pretty steady, uh, which is a bit surprising to me. But I was looking at my local numbers recently, and they went slightly down in the last week. Uh, But we also have this vaccine passport. And so our vaccination numbers are staying not high, but the first dose da- vaccinations are staying pretty high. They're, they're, they're a solid quarter to a third of all, of all um, doses that are given in a single day, um, which is pretty impressive. And so this vaccine passport has been, been unrolled. It's now in, in, in effect. I had to show my passport today to play soccer. I had to show it yesterday at a cafe. Interestingly, you don't have to show it anywhere you're not staying. So like it took me a while to actually have to show it because I wasn't staying anywhere. I was just going in and out. And our government is in a is like it's the start of the session and they, they always start the session with committees. And so committees are going and, you know, politicians are talking and there's stuff that's happening. And when I look at Ontario and see that, you know, school hasn't started yet because it doesn't start until after Labor Day in the province. That's obviously different. Quebec always starts early. The anxiety around back to school is palpable. Like you can see it everywhere online. You can hear it in people's voices when they talk about it. If you're in meetings with people, it's it's palpable. And I suspect it's similar, act, like actually right across the, the country for, for any jurisdictions that haven't yet started, which I think Quebec is only the only one. Um, no one's looking at Quebec as like, oh, maybe the model for the passport is working. What is happening in their schools? And is there a connection between like a functional, though completely shit, but functional provincial government and like a calmer populace, things seeming to be like unrolling properly. The vaccine passport was announced a month ago. So we've had tons of time to adapt. There's been spikes in vaccination because of the passport versus Doug Ford, like not sure when it's going to apply. Not sure, not sure. Oh, it's going to be exempted from religious institutions. Oh, we're shutting down parliament. It, it, it completely changes how the, the, the populace feels at this moment, while you have outbreaks like Alberta being a third of COVID cases, like unbelievable uh, level of spread within that province. British Columbia's deaths are inching up and spread out there is really serious as well. Um, Ontario comparatively is not that bad, actually. I mean, I really encourage Ontario folks to check out those national uh, pictures from the Public Health Agency of Canada if you're really curious to see how, how, how Ontario is doing compared to other provinces. But that stress is so unnecessary. And then worse than that, there's no democratic way to hold these fuckers to account because it's just like, oh, Parliament's prorogued or Jason Kenney's fucking missing or Scott Moe doesn't care or John Horgan's fucking somewhere. We don't know, you know, and it's like, could that be could it be the a worse time than now for these folks to fuck off? Yeah. And the the other thing about why it's important to hold them to account now is that, um, Nora, I know I've asked you this question before, but when did this fucking pandemic start? I believe it was 18 months ago. 18 months ago. You'd think that some of this shit would have been figured out by now, but no, we're getting this news about these vaccine passports that are kind of like half cocked, like some of them so, so reliant on having, for example, a cell phone that you know that you're not going to reach all populations um, and that some populations, the ones that we um, increasingly devalue in our society, uh, are going to be shit out of luck for accessing services that they need if they don't, if they are not able to get uh, this vaccine passport in the way that they need to. And it's like, my God, you all have like departments that are, um, uh, 
that are meant to take care of public health, public safety, that are meant to take care of seniors, that are meant to take care of people who are in poverty. Maybe not so much that last one. Maybe I made that up. But um, (laughs) you should. You should have departments that are meant to um, eliminate poverty. You should know that you can't have a vaccine passport that is created in a specific way that is going to leave a bunch of people out. Uh, what did you all start working on this three weeks ago? And just oh my god, totally. Disappear? It's completely unacceptable. And yes, there's a federal election going on, and yes, the federal government has a a, a part to play in that. And uh, quite rightfully, people are making their their opinions known, whether we agree with some of those people or not, across the country. We also need to be able to do that for the provinces, because where you fuck up in week one, that should be fixed immediately. We don't actually really yeah. have a lot of time to fuck around with this stuff, given where the numbers could go in certain places. Looking at you, Alberta. Looking at you, Ontario. Yeah, like when and, and the, the thing, like vac- vaccine passports are, there's, there's problems that you just raised. There's other problems Lots of people have questions about the security. I mean, this is where Quebec has just been so smooth from the beginning. Like, I feel like I'm in a different fucking country than what I see written in English about Canada. Like, from the, the moment that we could get our vaccines online, you put in your postal code, you find the closest clinic, you get your vaccine. We got our proof of vaccination emailed to us immediately after our second dose. There was no talk of vaccine passports at that time. That was just what happened was you were sent that. They said... Do you, you know, you should probably get this printed. If you don't have access to a printer, you should make arrangements to have this, just to have a copy of this, just, you know, going forward. But wait, now when the vaccine passport's up and running, you just go to a website, you put, you put in your, your health card number, you put in the last date of your vaccine and you get your QR code. You can print that out. You can laminate it. People have had a month to be prepared for this. So there's service organizations doing this for people that that need help with printers or laminating or whatever. I've seen some, uh, like there's a festival in town that's actually helping people print off their QR codes if they need that, because you need to get that into the festival. And of course, you can carry around a piece of paper. And that's been publicized for three weeks. And so people are aware that you can carry around this piece of paper. It's so less stressful. <laughs> Than, than anything I've seen in Ontario. And there's a grace period of two weeks. So we're actually in a grace period right now where you get used to being able to, to, to being asked for this over and over. It's, I cannot, t- I cannot say how much nicer it feels to know that there's a, a, a system that is fucking working. And as much as I disrespect Francois Legault and, you know, his entire administration, they've obviously handed this off to people that know what the fuck they're doing. And it makes a huge difference. And that difference can be seen in a lot of different measures. But the thing that is so important to mention, and I suspect we'll probably talk about this for the rest of the show, is that this strategy of bumbling, of not being sure, of making an announcement and then, and then, and then taking it back. Like Doug Ford basically announced that he'd have a, a vaccine passport and then had to cancel the announcement because he didn't agree with the way that they had fucking like came up with it or whatever. Mm-hmm. This all serves to minimize the role that the provinces play and helps the federal parties. But but it doesn't just help any of the parties. It's helping the conservatives very clearly because they are the ones who stand to, to game the most. And, you know, especially in a, in a voting block like Ontario, where 
it really does matter. Like people's opinions about the political stripe really does matter. Ontarians usually vote against the provincial government for the federal uh, level. Uh, Doug Ford's gone to hiding and guess fucking what? The conservatives are surging. It fucking works. And I mean, all of this kind of spells, um, you know, if we look at if we look at this macro, like go a little bit deeper into what does this really mean? It's like the whole problem with the confederation of this entire country. <laughs> right. Like because this happens all the time in so many ways where the federal government will say, nope, that's the province's fault, not ours, and absolve themselves of any responsibility. And the provinces will point to the federal government and say, nope, that's the federal government, not us, and absolve themselves of responsibility. And this is just that same game happening, but in a more like... (laughs) I don't know, like disappearing like a fucking ghost uh, instead of actually saying the thing that this is not me, this is the federal government, like disappearing to absolve themselves of any responsibility or to be there to receive the criticism that they rightfully deserve and not just deserve, but that we need um, to be able to level on them in order to, 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 to perfect or to make better Um, Whatever measures we're going to make, whether it's uh, vaccine passports that we're talking about or something else entirely like um, escaping fires or being prepared for the next hurricane that might actually impact folks um, in Canada, like who knows, right? Um, All of these things, like we need the ability to have uh, discussions with um, our elected representatives in a representative democracy, uh, but... It's just this whole Spider-Man bullshit where they're just all pointing at each other all the time. And that is just one of the great fucking um, awful uh, characteristics of this confounding colonial system. Exactly. It's working the way it's supposed to work, of course. And what I find the most fascinating is, you know, in the past week, debts have slowed down. Right. Deaths have slowed down significantly since mass vaccination. But in the past week, Canada surpassed 27,000 deaths. And that's the official count. Right. You know, listeners to the show of the show will know that there are very credible uh, estimates of which I was part that that says that the death uh, tolls likely double. But the official death toll is 27,000. And I don't know, Sandy, did you see that anywhere in the news at all? Not at all. Not at all. It took us from June 18th till um, till last Friday to get to 27,000 deaths from 26,000 deaths. That is a massive slowing of deaths. And and I, if you go to my Twitter, you can maybe just search my, my, my handle and 27,000, you'll find it. I go back until the 20,000s to just show how rapidly deaths were accelerating back into January. And then, of course, before that, they were they were even even higher. And the fact that deaths have slowed down so significantly is just such amazing proof that vaccines work, obviously, but it also shows that we're still in a crisis and the crisis has changed, that it isn't a crisis of mass deaths. It's a crisis of refusing to take this virus seriously now that a vast majority of people are vaccinated. And so instead, we find politicians dancing on the head of a pin, talking uh, either about the few people who are not vaccinated or they're trying to talk about nothing at all. And 
that role of opposition parties to challenge and hold to account and try and push, right? Because opposition, like they, they are legally there to try and oppose what governments are doing. And their job is to force through whatever mechanisms they have to try and force governments to do better. Now, they're also an election too. And so that that's also where you get, wow, like our triple layers of democracy in this fucking country really are not democratic at all. <laughs> like what a fucking sham. Um, and so y- we hit this milestone this past week We have, you know, hundreds of thousands of parents who are just not able to sleep because they're so freaking out about what's going to happen next week when their kids go back to school. We have um, infections coming back to long-term care, though, I mean, put this in perspective, there's still fewer than 10 outbreaks in Ontario, I think, maybe 11. British Columbia has got way more outbreaks than they've had at long-term care, but even then the deaths are still quite low and it's still only at maybe 14 or 15 facilities. And then the anti-vax fucking people or the pro-COVID people, they get all the airtime. They're getting all of the airtime, all of the non-election airtime. And it's like, journalists, why are you doing this still? Why you keep doing this? You think you're helping? You're not helping. This is bad. This is not helping. Yeah, I mean, it's it really isn't helping. I I try to uh, watch The National um, when in the evenings uh, to, you know, just see what's going on and how CBC is reporting on things. And I was just so frustrated um, a couple nights ago. Was it the national that I was watching or the evening news? I can't remember. But um, the second story up was a story about uh, a family who had gotten fleeced on their renovation costs for their cottage. Oh, that's really important stuff. Which I was like, am I? Am I, is, are they, like, is this another world that they're living? Am I living in a different world? Am I correct in thinking that this is making zero sense whatsoever? I mean, part of the story was that this, this couple who had gotten fleeced was like fleeced by a company that was owned by the local um, representative in government, which is like, okay, <laughs> okay, yep. Yeah. Um, at the same time, I don't know if that's the second story up, like, you know, during a during a federal election. I don't know if that's what makes the most sense, given everything that we should be discussing right now. What, what the past week has shown, uh, whether it's through the way journalists are talking about the campaign, whether it's through the way that politicians have been talking, um, you know, there's a French language TVA de- debate. And while I didn't watch it because I was playing soccer, I mean, at this point, I think I'm just going to be missing everything for soccer games uh, for the rest of the season, which I'm not unhappy about. The obsession with the parties um, focusing again still on why did you call this election? Why did you call this election? Why did you call this election? Every one of the parties were, were on Trudeau's ass for this. And it's like, who the fuck cares? Who the fuck cares? Every one of you fuckers, the, the Bloc, the Conservatives, the NDP, you're all going to gain. You're all ahead in the polls. And unless the, the liberals fucking pull some huge mm-hmm. a, a promise like universal basic income, which people have been batting around like they might fucking pull out the emergency hatch, you're going to you're going to gain seats. So every single time you're wasting airtime with talking about you should have called this election. This is not an election that you should have called. You, you could be you could be talking about federal provincial relations. You could have been po- talking about how Trudeau there was no federal leadership in so many important parts of the pandemic. 
you you could you could be talking about how there was not enough uh, checks and balances to make sure that money that with the federal government promised went to where it was supposed to go. And you do this and you implicate the provincial government, which in the majority of Canada is a conservative government. That's that's fucking obviously straightforward politics. But I, we're just stuck in this like void. We're stuck in this void. It's like the NDP is trying to turn Jagmeet Singh into a rock star. It's like, okay, fine. While promising things like, oh, universal dental care, but only up to $90,000. It's like, you fucking people don't get it. Okay. Wow. You're still not getting it. O'Toole, I mean, O'Toole, I'm not going to give him advice, but fuck, it's, I think the path to victory for him is very, very obvious. Path, path to minority government, anyway. I don't think none of the polls are saying that that the conservatives or the liberals can pull off a majority, which is fucking hilarious. Uh, but but it's just like, no, we're just so obsessed with, oh, Trudeau, Trudeau, Trudeau. Yeah. And and that then feeds, yeah. of course, into this the far-right obsession with Trudeau that just blames everything on him. And it's like, why are we stuck in this fucking absolute individualist the problem is the the trudeau the o'toole the sing of the world it's like fuck can we just get a new fucking playbook and this is where journalists it's like journalists are the ones that fucking amplify this message and you know there's absolutely no creativity there's absolutely no critical fucking thinking fucking the globe and mail ran a front page about how many days in jail the two michaels have been rather than uh the fact that twenty seven thousand canadians have fucking died from covid right what is up with the fucking priorities of the media and of the parties themselves yeah i just can't help but think you know if i was if i was at a party, you know, <laughs> if I was at a party after the last 18 months, I, you know, my, I wouldn't promise something like, you know, um, just something like free, uh, you know, pharmacare or, uh, uh, free dental up to 90,000. Like I couldn't, I couldn't just do that. Like, I, I feel like I would publish like a fucking, um, healthcare manifesto, <laughs> That's like against the way uh, that healthcare has been uh, whittled down. Um, uh, access to healthcare has been whittled down slowly over the years. And here are all of the measures that we're going to take now to totally transform the way that we see and think about healthcare so that, you know, when the next pandemic happens or when the next tragedy happens, we're going to be fully ready and we're going to make sure that people are healthy, uh, not just in responding, but in the preventative healthcare. Like that's probably how I would tackle it. I would be like, you know, communication would be one of the first things that I talk about. Like people clearly need access to, uh, to Wi-Fi, to broadband, to fucking, uh, technical equipment to be able to contact one another. And we've seen that in the last 18 months, how necessary it is, how much, um, to get, anything done, whether it's school or basic services that you need that are provided by government that you needed to have access to a computer, some sort of terminal. And so many people don't. And all of these stories of kids um, in with laptops in parking lots so that they could get the Wi-Fi of some cafe, like, where is like the communications? It's it's like uh, no more price gouging. <laughs> like come on, you know. Like I would I would come up with some sort of um, platform uh, that is truly going to tackle um, the issue of houselessness. Like all of the issues with respect to shelter in this country. Um, the fact that all of the parties only decided to focus on people who have the ability to save to purchase a house 
is really fucking ridiculous and atrocious. That is not um, the only mm-hmm. issue that is going on with shelter right now and is, in fact, not the most urgent issue. And the turning away from that is, again, just proof of who is devalued uh, in our communities. But where where are the big ideas, the big, like, we're going to fucking change this shit so this is not ever allowed to happen again? It's just not there. Instead, we're just doing the same old playbook, pointing at the provinces, um, burying heads in the sand, making weird schemey promises to pay seniors seniors now redefined to 75 and older um, 500 bucks oh we're going to double the amount of uh, refugees we will accept from Afghanistan not 20,000 40,000 like what is going on what is really truly happening like even the idea that Trudeau is being uh, confronted by this these anti-vaxxers um, pro-COVID, I like that you said that earlier, pro-COVID <laughs> activists, um, you know, like so much of that, and they know, they know has a thread in white supremacist organizing. Where is the fucking plan to deal with white supremacist organizing? And going through the platforms as I did recently, you know, so much of it is like we promised to create a plan no, 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 no. This is an election. <laughs> You're supposed to tell us the plan now. Yeah. <laughs> like You should have already had the plan. Yeah. Make the plan, then come to the election. It's not like y'all didn't know for months. Every single person who's running right now didn't knew for months that there was going to be an election right now because I knew for months. Yeah. Okay? Nora knew for months. Many people knew for months. So there's actually no excuse. But here we are. Same old, same old boring ass nothing well maybe that just explains why so few governments have actually had anything in place on time for covid because they can't even do it when it counts for them during an election (laughs) well that's who's running our country folks (laughs) yeah the biggest lesson for me and this has been the lesson for me for the whole pandemic but the election is such a great moment where you can look at it under a microscope the biggest lesson is that for every every politician, every single politician, I mean, the degrees might be different from the conservatives to the NDP, but it's the same approach that the most important thing has been for them to consolidate power or gain access to power and not do what's actually necessary and actually right during this pandemic. And this election was a moment for them to do that. And it's you know just after Labor Day, by the time people are listening to this, we'll be in the final three weeks this is this is a, a strong position for the liberals to be in, even though they're obviously behind. Uh, this is where they're going to pull out the, the, their checkbook and just write a blank check for some social program or social programs. I suspect we haven't heard anything about childcare because it's wrapped up with provincial governments that are conservative, right? So there's not much uh, impetus for the for the liberals to say, "Oh, look what we've done," because it'll de facto promote the conservative governments. That's my guess on why we haven't heard much from that. So what will be the big promise from the from the liberal party? And then from the other parties, what will be their big promises? I, I suspect the conservatives will pull some big promise that will sound very interesting, uh, though the path that they're on is a, is a path to victory. And will the NDP pull something out of their hat um, that will actually, I don't know, surprise 
you and I, <laughs> I will be very surprised, but it, it, it's possible. Uh, but th- that's what people should be looking for the next week. This is going to be the, the week that sets the, the campaigns into the course, like where they will end up. Um, and and, and l- unless there's something catastrophic that happens within one of the parties, which of course is possible. And, you know, we haven't talked about the Green Party yet. We might want to finish off with two minutes dedicated to the Green Party. Um, there hasn't been that big promise yet from, from any of the parties to make them stand out. And so who knows? Who knows what this week is going to bring? Are we actually going to finish with the Greens? There's no platform. 